Oh, good idea. Welcome. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Uh, this is the community dedicated with becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is Okay exists to explore the science, stories, and strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find out where the magic happens. The guest on today's show is Justine Hamill, co-owner and studio manager of Power Living Yoga New Zealand, gestalt-trained psychotherapist, mum of three, wife, vocalist, and no bears, who cares ambassador. In fact, I first met Justine in person at a No Bears Who Cares event in Wellington. Uh, and if you're wondering what No Bears Who Cares is, um, it's an organization all about shifting attitudes around how and why we drink uh, and showing people that you can have a pretty good time as well without alcohol. Actually, most of you probably don't know that I'm a member of No Bears Who Cares. Uh, and in fact, I've only had one beer in the past seven months, so it's not quite no beers. Um, but I, when I had it, uh, it wasn't one that I particularly enjoyed either. And we talk a little bit about this in the podcast, um, but in New Zealand, alcohol is a pretty big part of society. Um, so a little bit about my story with alcohol uh, so throughout university and my 20s, uh, I partied pretty hard and pretty much all the time alcohol was involved and I probably partied slightly harder than most. Uh, and at times I struggled to, to stop drinking once I'd, once I'd started. Uh, in my 30s, I cut back quite considerably but still felt that I had an unhealthy relationship with, with alcohol, um, kind of the, the binge drinking style relationship. Um, and it was impacting on how I wanted to live my life. Uh, so earlier this year, I decided to stop drinking and see what happened. Um, and the, the No Bears Who Cares community, uh, community has been great support for that. So it's been going pretty well. Um, but not always easy. Uh, and it's actually a little bit uncomfortable talking about it. Um, I don't know exactly why. I think probably just uh, the, the fear of, of being judged by people. Um, but I guess that uh, I have to walk the walk as well as talk the talk as the host of Uncomfortable is Okay. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that I'm throwing it out there today. Uh, but this is a, a little bit of a segue uh, before the episode for you guys. Uh, today, Justine and I chat about drinking, about yoga, about stopping drinking and what uh, what effect that has, trying to live life the way you want to live it, stepping into your power, creating space for yourself and looking after your mental health, making sure that you're nourishing yourself. And we actually recorded this episode during Mental Health Awareness Week in New Zealand. Uh, and it would have been awesome to get it out last week. Uh, however, my circumstances last week uh, dictated otherwise. So you guys all get to enjoy it and mull it over this week. Now, a little bit of admin before we start. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways you can do that. The easiest is to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
if you are a new listener, just to make sure that you get the podcast coming through to you every Tuesday when we release a new episode. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, leave a review on the app as it helps the show get in front of more people and helps more people get uncomfortable. If you want to help get the word out, share it out on social media, make sure you tag uncomfortable is okay in your post uh, and I'll get out there and reply to you. And also the show is a labor of love at the moment. Uh, so if you want to flick a couple of bucks our way to help with the hosting of the show, etc., uh, then we do have a Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash uncomfortable is okay. So guys, sit back, enjoy whatever you're doing, and thank you very much for getting uncomfortable with Justine and I today. Justine, welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. Thank you for inviting me down here today to have a bit of a chat to you. Thank you. Awesome. How are you today? I'm great. Yeah. Perfect. Now, I think what I usually like to start off with is, just so that everyone knows a little bit about you, is can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, um, where you're from, where you grew up? Mm-hmm. Were there any kind of major formative experiences when you were younger that you feel have shaped you as the person you are today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, many. So um, I'm 41. Um, I was born in the metropolis of Palmerston North. <laughs> um, I grew up there right up until about the age of 17. So um, that's where all my family are from. Um, there are a lot of experience that, that shaped, not so much how I am now, or I guess inadvertently they have, but a lot of stuff that I have gotten to work with through those experiences in my personal process. So um, I grew up with a dad who who has um, struggled, I guess, on and off with addictions and been in and out of jail and um, uh, spent a lot of time in jail through my teens. Um, And I guess that was a very formative experience, not having a father around through those years and also not really understanding as a young girl why I I didn't come first in his world. Um, We've moved through a lot of that now these days, but I'll stay with that age group for now. So also in my uh, younger years, when I was about 10, I I went to boarding school at a very young age, so um, found that quite difficult just for me personally because I was a very um, shy quite an anxious um, and unsure little girl. And so being away from my mum and, and being alone in Wellington at a school here felt really just overwhelming for me. That lasted a couple of years until um, I was just very naughty all the time and then I got sent back, <laughs> uh, which was actually quite pleasing to me. <laughs> um so to, those would be the two main experiences, I think, that I can remember. 
that uh, through my later years when I went into doing a lot of therapy um, for myself and working out why I had some of the behavioural patterns that I had that I've, I've worked with a lot. And then, of course, there's, there's many stuff that happens um, for us pre-verbally, even pre-birth in the womb or in our infancy that we can't remember that has a big impact on shaping the way that we are as adults. So I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that, that could have happened mm. for me like all of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. With the with the two that you've talked about there, how did they shape your behaviour patterns, and how did they shape you as a person, uh, kind of moving forward from from those teenage years? So, um, <clears throat> I guess I developed a belief about myself, um, our conditioning, and our experiences in our younger life form what we or inform how we interact with ourselves or what we believe in ourselves and how we perceive that we are and I developed this belief that I was um, unsafe, uh, not important, um, just really unloved and unworthy. So I went through going into my teens, I got into very young age, a lot of drinking, um, not so much drugs in my in my teens, but drinking, um, really promiscuous, um, looking for any kind of love and any kind of affirmation that I could find anywhere from anyone. Um, and that's, that's actually quite hard for me to look back on now, and I, I feel a lot of empathy and compassion for that little girl because really I was just a little girl searching for a lot of love (laughs) Mm, mm. so um I went through through my teens uh behaving in that way quite unaware quite just really not not knowing that there's anything wrong with that that was just what you did and that was what I was surrounded by and all of my family drank a lot there was a lot of drugs um it was just that was my context so that's what I knew um, and then I, I was really fortunate that uh, about the age of 19 and I was living in Wellington, I moved down here and I started working for a travel agency and I met my husband, um, who's still my husband, Shane. And I was 19 when I met him and he was about 26, so he was a lot older. And he was just so stable and I was like, this is unbelievable. This person has got it together and they've got a car. <laughs> Sweet. Was that the like the, the clincher yeah. going out with them? Yeah. So um, I guess the little girl in me was looking for some kind of stability and something mm. that felt safe, and um, and we just became best friends, and it and it eventuated from there. He was also a musician, so that topped it off. Yeah, uh, nice. <laughs> ticking, ticking those boxes. And I think like what you what you're telling me there, it's. Uh, it's probably like a variation on a story that a lot of people that grew up in New Zealand have as well as like I, um, I grew up in kind of semi-rural, small town New Zealand and that's, that's what you did. eh? You went out and you drank and then yeah, went to, went to school and then the next weekend you'd go out and you'd party again. And it was kind of an expectation that was, that was put on you. Um, and also it is like when I was, when I was growing up, I liked a lot of sort of, um, external validation mm-hmm. and I don't know that it's particularly unusual mm-hmm. and people like it, it makes you feel good when, 
when things that you perceive uh, or people praise you or people uh, do something that you think, okay, no, that's that's cool. They they like me for mm-hmm. that, and I think that it's sometimes with with drinking in, in New Zealand, a lot of people do it to to fit in mm-hmm. as well, and I think that's kind of how I one of the reasons that I started drinking is was to to fit in with everyone right. else because I always felt like a little bit of a kind of an outsider mm-hmm. with that. Um, I grew up, uh, we moved around a little bit as I was growing up. So it was, I was, I was reasonable at making friends um, because it was something that I, I had to do, but I don't know if I developed kind of those really close relationships at, that someone else might have if they'd kind of grown up with the yeah. same people the whole way through. Um, so I always felt kind of like I was a little bit on the on the outside, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think uh, it, it, when it, in my teenage years, um, drinking for me just kind of helped you sort of fit into that into that crowd. Yeah, yeah, I can really resonate with that. Having chopping, changing schools quite a bit, and mm. um, <clears throat> I think though, for me, I got a take. I was scared and anxious a lot as a child and um and when I got a taste of something that took that away that was the the appealing thing Mm. so it's like I mean the very essence of this uncomfortable is okay is it's like not being able to be uncomfortable and of course when you're a child and you don't have that support around you or adults role modeling that it's okay to sit with being sad, angry, um, scared, anxious, and they don't teach you how to be with those emotions, then the first taste that you get of just getting rid of them and being super happy and okay, you're just going to be like, well, give me more of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think with, like, uh, yeah, I've, I've had conversations like this before, and Growing up in in New Zealand, it's it's not something that we do particularly well as a, we did particularly well as a society. I think we're getting better at it in talking about those uncomfortable emotions and um, learning how to how to sit with them. Um, but back in kind of the uh, late seventies, early eighties, it was just just yeah. suck it up, yeah, that's just keep right. keep going. Yeah. Um, and I think it's. Like it's it's something that it's a skill that we kind of didn't really learn, mm. um, or not many people learned at the at the time, and something that you have to kind of pick up as you as you got older. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I told you we go down a couple of uh, segways, <laughs> uh, but maybe let's let's jump back. So you you met your husband Shane when you were you were nineteen. Yeah. He was he tick the boxes yeah. for your car musician stability <laughs> as well how did your how did your world change when you met him um i guess i had an ally more of an ally in life mm. and there was a, a hope of uh, togetherness because i did also feel a, a lot a bit of a loner growing up i always felt like i didn't quite fit in i wasn't mm. in the cool group I was never really a group person, and I'm still not, to be honest. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I feel more comfortable being a little bit more solo and having close, really close friends that I really trust, rather mm-hmm. than trying to mould myself to fit into different groups of people. Yeah. Um. So meeting Shane, I had had an ally and someone who really got me, so I felt understood. Um. 
and we ended up getting engaged just after just being together a couple of years. Um, but we continued to party, of course, because we were in our 20s and we basically have grown up together. So we've gone through this so many phases of life together through our 20s and 30s that, I don't know, it's like a whole book of experiences. Mm. It's really cool that you've been able to do that together mm-hmm. as well because, I mean, you hear a lot that people... I mean, that's that's why a lot of relationships break down, I think, is because people people change and people become different and move move in different directions. So it's it's sound it's really cool that you guys have been able to kind of keep going in the in the same direction together with that as well. And, yeah, and, and it's it's not that's not been comfortable. That's not been easy at all. We've had many times where we've a couple of times we've broken up, many times we've wanted to break up, many times we're like, oh this is not what I want. But that's about, again, recognising what's uncomfortable and what's mm. going on and whose stuff is whose stuff and what we're expecting of each other and whether we're chasing desires or just other things because something's uncomfortable that we need to deal with within our intimate relationship is often um, where it's at because we can't ex- – to be in a really long-term relationship, we have to accept how the other person is for a start and then we have to do our own work individually and then meet each other kind of in the middle. It's neither an enmeshment or a um, doing whatever that we want. (laughs) When did you come to that realisation? When I, after I had my children, so I had my first child when I was, we had our first child when when I was 28, Shane was 34 or 35, and, um, and then things really got, hard because you're confronted when you have your first child with everything all your old stuff comes up you're now a parent you've got to put everything of yourself aside and everything is about supporting and bringing this being into existence and helping them grow as a stable person that's a big responsibility (laughs) Mm. so I I, I realized I've really got a lot of work to do on myself if I want to be a really good role model and a a good mum so I started going to therapy um, for myself and um, spend about seven years in therapy weekly um, weekly talk therapy that's one-on-one gestalt style therapy and I love hated slash hated that so much that I wanted to train as a therapist so I did my uh, gestalt therapy training for four years as well um, which is a lot of group therapy and a lot of I guess um just understanding all of the stuff that's that's there and how to work with it and how to sit with it. So it's this same thing of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. So being able to really go deep into the layers of um, old trauma and how that uh, dictates or informs behaviours and really unravelling that and alongside someone supporting you in that process, which is why it's such a long-term therapy. Mm. So you really get to be held in that process rather than, say, just a cognitive type of strategy where you go, this is what I'm feeling, now I'm going to do X, Y, Z. It's much more of sitting into it and creating space for those um, things and those parts of ourselves to integrate. Because what happens um, when we have a lot of experiences that are, 
tricky and traumatic is that we start to split off parts of ourselves and we start to not accept the version of ourselves that is this or not accept the version of ourselves that feels like that, not accept that I sometimes feel shameful or sometimes I feel jealous or sometimes I feel whatever, but rather to integrate and understand where those feelings come from and then become a more whole, fuller version of ourselves. And then in doing that, we're able to accept other people fully for who they are as well. And that's also the biggest concept of yoga is, is that integration and then that connection outward. Mm. So it's been a like it's been a significant process. Significant process. Yeah, yeah. I so didn't just turn around one day and do a couple like, of down right. dogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's this one simple hack that I've used. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. can't drop. can't drop that to the uh, the people that are listening. Um, yeah. When you when you first decided to go and do therapy, I'm I'm assuming that it's been it's been a challenging. Uh, journey for you and probably one that you're still uh, that never ends Mm. but was it easy for you to make that decision to start with and and go down that path I remember how I I I met someone it was up the coast when I was living up the coast and I um met someone who was seeing a therapist and she was saying to me oh it's just really helping me and I thought well I might give that a go because I was struggling at the time with some identity, real identity issues, and I was really confused about a lot of things, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just try and give this a go. I didn't even know what I was getting myself in in for. Mm. But for the first time in my life, I felt listened and held and supported, and it just sort of carried on from there. Cool. And I don't – I mean, I'm not saying that therapy is the only way to do that either. There's many different paths Mm. for that. What I do believe, though, is that – the relational aspect of one-on-one in some form or other is really powerful. Um, yeah. I mean, even if you're talking about yoga, group group classes are amazing, but if you could be with a one-on-one teacher that was there to hold you through a process, that would be the icing on the cake. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think yeah, I, I completely agree with you there as well. That there are a lot of different ways to to go down that but it sounded like that was exactly what you needed at that time mm-hmm. in your in your in your life and your journey mm. um why don't we talk a little bit more about about yoga as well because obviously we're sitting here in your in your studio at yeah. the moment down at power living mm-hmm. um how did you how did you find yoga how did that come into your life um i start again i started yoga when i after i had I did a little bit of yoga in London in my 20s, but really didn't just thought of it as a thing to move your body, a physical Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And then when um, I was pregnant with Ruby, my first child, I've got Ruby and then I've got the twins who are two years, Ruby's 13 now and the boys are now 11, uh, 10, sorry. Um, (laughs) I should know that. (laughs) Um, And I started a little bit of yoga when I was pregnant with Ruby and then went back to it again when uh, after she was born. I found that it was a way that I could feel really relaxed and kind of reconnected to myself. It was like a tuning in. And I used to go to a very gentle – I started with um, very gentle yoga at a place called Yoga and Daily Life up on the coast um, when I started more regularly. And then uh, a little way down the track, I – I thought I'd really like to find out more about this and do my teacher training. So I did my teacher training in 
2010 um, with Power Living, actually. It was one of the first teacher trainings that I did. Um, and it's just grown from there. And, and since then, I've, I've done various trainings with other teachers um, here and in the States as well. In, in various styles and various intentions. So it's helped me um, because of the physical aspect as well. I think <clears throat> for a lot of us as Westerners, it's all very well to say just sit there and meditate or sit with your feelings, but that's, that can be extremely scary and traumatic for some people, like to just go straight to that. So what the physical practice does is it's like a pathway into stillness and they come and breathe on their mat and move and start to feel more connected, start to develop more awareness of the body because the body, again, holds the trauma that we carry in our tissues and our cells. Um, and then eventually we move through our life and we different stages. I mean, for me, I'm, my practice is more yin and, um, and sitting and meditation because that's where I'm at, but it was in my 20s. That vigorous vinyasa is, is what I what I would have really enjoyed at that time if it were available mm. yeah <clears throat> so with with yoga um obviously there are the, the physical benefits of it as well but it's the it's the mental benefits that kind mm. of keep you keep you on that and i think as well for me you you make a, a cool point that it's that that pathway in mm. to the mental side of uh just kind of calming and, and creating space for yourself mentally and I think with with me, what I notice that I, I liken my mind sometimes um, to like a glass of water that someone's thrown a barocca into, yes. and it just <laughs> fizzes around everywhere. And it's if I went to kind of sit down and just tried to to meditate or even some guided meditation, that's I often find that actually quite hard. It's mm. something that I've, I've probably haven't had a consistent meditation practice so it hasn't been something that I've trained really well before but I've always played a lot of sport and done a lot of activity so that the physical side of things makes makes sense for me so I think when I, when I do yoga and I get to kind of focus on my body and do something that I that I know and that I understand and probably a lot of New Zealanders are kind of like that as well as mm. they understand they, they played some kind of sport when they were younger so they understand the movement but it just it brings that focus back in internally and kind of helps create space and slow everything down mm. in, in my brain um so that by the time i'm finished uh finished with the physical side of things the mental side of things is just kind of ready to Ready just for, be. Yeah, you're ready for the shavasana by the end. Yeah, you know, really. Yeah. And it's yeah, it is because you're you're changing the physiology in your body as you practice the asana and the asana or the movement, the postures are just a tiny part of yoga, a very small part, but they are what is the pathway for us, particularly in the Western world, to start to access stiller states of being or to access a state of yoga because yoga itself can be can be I guess termed as a state of balance, of non-reactivity, of um, fully being connected to ourselves in a whole way. Um, yeah, so totally agree. Mm. In terms of, I mean, obviously yoga is something that has 
I don't know if increased in popularity is the kind of the, quite the right term to, to put it. There's been there are more people practicing yoga now than there than there used to be sort of ten or, or fifteen years ago mm. in in New Zealand. Um, why do you think that is? Why like why is that that the uptake of people kind of turning mm. to turning to yoga? Why has that increased recently? I just really think that, and it's going to sound a bit cheesy, but there is a, like a raising of consciousness happening. Like there is, people are just becoming more and more aware. If you look at how we are and how we interact with each other, our awareness, those things just weren't available to our parents or our grandparents. Like they had their, their whiskey and their Paul more reds. And <laughs> there wasn't that availability in, in New Zealand anyway of other I guess there was church, which could be like a maybe a spiritual practice for people in a way to form community and support. But um, now it seems like people are wanting. Like I'm just I'm I'm blown away by the amount of people that come to the studio and they are willing to go there. They are really willing to go there. They're like I want to understand this. I want to understand why why I'm like this or why and I want to better myself and I want to have better relationships and they're not you know it's really cool mm-hmm. to see that level of consciousness and is lifting. this is this kind of wide range of people as well are these the uh, sort of uh, stereotypical <laughs> Kiwi middle-aged dude they're not just the the young people that love the yoga Colourful yoga tights. Yeah, exactly. No, it's such a big, wide variety. We've got, yeah, we've got the young people that like colourful tights and then we've got the 67-year-old people that are here for another reason. We've got men, women, every shape, size, background. It's just such a wide range of people. So, I mean, when I started yoga, put it this way, it was for people in fisherman pants and, you know, mala beads. It was yeah. very traditionally, there's nothing wrong with tradition. I love tradition, but it had a stereotype um, attached to it. Yeah, there so, would have been some dreadlocks as well. Yeah, yeah. I even had dreadlocks <laughs> <Did> myself. <you? laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, so I was right in that stereotype. But, <laughs> it's, but now, and it would be kind of an intimidating or weird thing for a lot of people to come and yeah. just sit. But now, as you say, it's yoga's mainstream. It's the norm. It's mm. I go and I do my practice and I learn about myself and I relax and I focus my mind and yeah. it changes my life yeah. sort of thing. You know, it's not a big deal. Yeah, and I think you, you would notice uh, quite a lot of discomfort and or sort of unease in, in new people at times coming into the classes as well. Mm-hmm. How long does that usually take for people to drop away? It's hard to say because we never really know what's going on in mm. people's minds exactly. But yeah. um, I would say what I try to make really overt here is that it's not about getting it right and it's not about having a perfect posture and none of it's about that so trying to just relax it and level it off right from the beginning you know rest when you need to drink when you want to don't feel like you've got to be like the person next to you and just really trying to make everyone as comfortably uncomfortable as we can. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. And I think, yeah, it was kind of a how long's a piece of string question yeah. <laughs> that, I, that I asked you there. Um, also, if there's no trust and there's no mm. container and there's no um, care in that way, then people's journeys will only go a certain length or 
only go so far because people will only open up and delve into themselves if they if they feel safe in a space. So I place a lot of importance on creating a safe space that's really um, non-judgmental, really inclusive, um, and just available to anyone and everyone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I like your I like to really like to comment about perfection before mm-hmm. as well. And I think that a lot of us are quite guilty of wanting to be perfect with things as yeah. soon as we start them. I mean, we live in a culture of everything is quite accessible. Even the microwave is slow now. <laughs> you can kind of just buy things with one click on Amazon yeah. and um and the like. And it is it's kind of we we expect people to, or we expect ourselves to just be able to nail it after maybe maybe two or three goes. We'll give ourselves a little bit of space. Mm. But I mean, the the amount of times that I hear, oh, I can't go to yoga. I'm not flexible. Yeah. So that's not yeah. <laughs> that's not the point. Yes. You can you can go and uh, go and find you find a good teacher, and um, they'll they'll help you get there yeah. as well. Um, so I mean. It, Probably now is a good time to ask a question. If someone is kind of at that at that cusp of, hey, maybe I do want to go and try yoga, what? And they're going out to look look for someone to help, sort of teach them or guide them. What questions should they ask um, the the teacher? And also, what kind of encouragement can you give them to start with to mm. to actually? take that first step Mm. yeah I think for many people just getting in the door of a studio is Mm. is a really big thing yeah and so often we'll have people who call up on the phone and it's really good to like if you if you're feeling like oh it's too much to actually just walk into an unknown place with a whole lot of people I don't know good way can be just to to call the studio and ask to speak to the owner or one of the senior teachers and just have a chat about you know I'm thinking about starting yoga I'm wondering if it's going to be okay for me and what what kind of classes do you offer there's so many different styles even within our studio here there's lots of different things to suit different people at different stages of their lives um, in different things that they might be looking for. But definitely a big thing is really to do the research on um, the training that the teacher has. And um, there's, a, yeah, it's, there's a real need. I think it's very important for teachers to have a deep level of knowledge and anatomy and the body and how the body functions and how that marries with how we function psychologically and physiologically as well. Um, so the more you can get of that within a teacher who's going to be there to support you on all levels, the smoother the journey might be. It's not to say that it's no good going to a new teacher, but there's literally thousands of yoga teachers out there now, and there's um, unfortunately you can go and do a two-day course and online and get a yoga teacher certification because it's not regulated in New Zealand so I would say if I was a new student I'd be looking for a studio um, and then doing my research on the teachers what their training is and also if they if if I gel with them 
is another really mm. important thing. So you've got to feel comfortable and, and, that, and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are, are guilty of uh, trying trying it once and actually not clicking with the, with that person and then um, just saying, oh, no, it's, it's, it's not for me, or trying a certain style and then yeah. saying, oh, no, it's not for me. And I know, like, in my work as a physiotherapist that I try and I, – try and give the, the best service I can to, to everybody, but there are going to be people that actually just don't click with me, that are actually going to click much better with one of my colleagues mm. just because of, of our personalities and uh, kind of the way that we the way that we approach things. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, yeah, not not uh, throwing it away after, yeah. the, after the first go. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> very cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot a little bit here, Justine. Um, we talked we talked a little bit about uh, drinking in, mm-hmm. in New Zealand before, and actually, kind of when we when we first bumped into each other was at a uh, No Bears Who Cares event yeah. uh, down here in Wellington. Um, so I wanted to have a little bit of a chat with you about taking alcohol out of your life and why you decided to do that and then what you've seen change since you have done that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so I guess I've had it throughout my life in my 20s and on and off like relationship with alcohol and partying and binge drinking and all of that sort of stuff. And then um, had my children, you know, normal life all that sort of thing what I but what I noticed later on <clears throat> this is even after after all my therapy so it shows that process is not linear is that in the lead up to opening the studio in fact and I had my training and I had been teaching for a long time and um, I'd done a lot of therapy and training as a therapist I I had started to become so very uncomfortable and stressed and um, fearful of what I was about to embark on that I noticed that I started to abuse alcohol more than what I thought was good for me. So I made the decision. It was quite bizarre, actually. I mean, I don't even, I'm not sure. I look back now and I just think, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> I just got to a point where I was like, this, there's, I can't, this just doesn't match. Nothing fits. This is not where I'm going. I've, I've got to go deeper and I've just got to step into that fear and I've got to put myself out there and I've got to do it completely clear all of the time, no matter what I'm feeling and how scared I am or how anxious I am or what I'm putting myself up for. Yeah. So that was my challenge to myself. So... And was that a wake up one morning and decide that you're going to do this challenge or was that something that took a little while to get to and get up to and there was a bit of thinking around? It took a long time. It took a while, I'd say, a month of, this is what I need to do. I think this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do to take the next step in in being authentically who I am. And... um, and then I think you know, the date was the 9th of September. I don't know if that had any significance for me at the time. But, yeah, and then one day I was like, right, that's it. I'm, I'm going to give up drinking next week and I'm going to 
just quit for a few months and just see how that affects my um, my life. But then I I found that the clarity and the ability to relate and just everything started just becoming much more clearer. So I kept going and then kept going and then kept going <laughs> and with many, many times of of course wanting to quit that because when the shit got tough and I was feeling all those intense emotions and just wanting to to push them away and have some kind of other release. Um, there's that point where there's a choice to act, and it's not um, it's not just drinking, it's whatever your thing is, we've all got them, or whether it's shopping or it's, I don't know, Instagram or whatever mm-hmm. is, is that pivotal moment where we're, something is occurring in our body, there's something that we don't want to feel, and we split off and we go to another activity to distract ourselves from that, rather than being able to breathe into it, create space for it, and then move through it. So like you were saying about riding the, the wave, the urge, what was it? The urge, urge surfing. Urge surfing. Yeah. Yes, I love that too. Um, yeah, so urge surfing, knowing you're, you're at a peak and like something highly stressful might happen. But it's like, okay, I know this will pass, and I'll move through it that way, and then I'll retain my clarity, and then that will keep building. And <laughs> mm, mm. yeah, and I think it's—I mean, as you say, it's like with—it's like with therapy. There's no kind of easy way through it, and it's a—it's a process that you need to practice, and a process that you need to kind of continually go through. But there are those moments where those urges kind of. Uh, ramp up for you and I think yeah that that urge surfing like picturing the urge like a wave and having it sort of build up and then you know that it's going to crash on the beach and then Mm -hmm. it's just going to go away because Mm -hmm. that's what life that's what feelings do that's what good feelings do that's what bad feelings do yeah and being able to kind of just surf on surf on that feeling um was it was a really helpful metaphor and a helpful strategy for me when uh when ever I felt like oh I, I really feel like having a having a beer or having a drink. Mm-hmm. Um did you use any other kind of in the moment strategies for yourself? Um just my practice of yoga, so all yeah. that awareness and my practice of, of understanding how myself and how I operate. So um, it's really just breathing. It's like noticing, ah, okay, I see. I'm trying to escape a feeling because I feel shit about myself or there's a difficult interaction that's just happened or something else. So not- I think getting to know your triggers is really important, mm-hmm. getting to know what triggers you. Um, and then the, the practice of sitting with the emotion and creating the space so that because drinking or smoking or whatever it is, is just a reaction. It's just a reaction. It's like a, this is occurring and I'll just do that to make it go away rather than the practice of sitting with creating space and then responding. So a response for me, I've started to learn how to respond to myself in a loving way. Um, so what can I do for myself right now? That's, going to help me through this process but also um is is nourishing for me so oh maybe I'll just have a bath and it sounds really basic and simple or 
I'll just go and have some time out for five minutes on my own or I'll go for a walk or I'll go do a bit of yoga. But those little, I think we sometimes uh, don't learn growing up how to take care of ourselves in that way. Mm. Um, we, we're more tuned to escaping and distraction. You'll see people bouncing their kids, trying to distract them. So rather than allowing children to have an experience but being held in the experience gently and lovingly, and that's something um, that really affects us deeply through our formative years, I think. So, mm. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is quite interesting. And actually, uh, it would be interesting to see what the children of the tablet generation uh, yeah. where, where, where they end up so if anyone's listening to this in 20 years time and <laughs> you are one of those children yeah. get in touch with us yeah, I'd yeah. Love, love to hear um, and I'm constantly trying to give my children's strategies to um, one of my sons is actually quite an explosive child and he gets very angry and he's very sensitive and mm. um, he he just he just goes right off the handle he, he doesn't tolerate his emotions very well um, and that's okay so one of the things I do is try to allow him to just be angry and just just let him express it but but not try and shut it down on him and just mm-hmm. teach him strategies to breathe and feel his anger and be okay with it without feeling shame at the same time so um, yeah I think with the distractions and my kids have all got devices as well but I'm just very mindful of the usage of them but with that distractive nature of the the younger generation at the moment that is interesting to see how that does affect and inform behavior later on mm, yeah yeah and i think i mean even even in adults as well it turns into a bit of an addiction oh, that you're like totally oh, is. i'm guilty i'm bored <laughs> in parentheses i'm just going to scroll through instagram yeah um <laughs> yeah I've mind blanked on that at the moment. I had a really, really sort of profound thing to say, I'm sure. <laughs> it might come back to me. Um, oh, no, actually, I've just remembered it. So it was around the, I mean, initially when you kind of, when we're starting to actually just sit with these emotions and sit with this discomfort or anger or fear or guilt or shame, that it's really, really hard, mm. and sometimes all we can do is just sit there and be with it mm-hmm. for a little while, and then actually, you, you do need to go and I know have a bath or do some yoga or do some push-ups or go for a run, and it's only kind of that, that repetition of sitting there with it that actually allows you kind of the understanding and the, the capacity to kind of later on go and explore what's happening there with it. Um, yeah, so it's absolutely. almost, yeah, it's kind of, a, I have a concept, but it's like training any muscle. It's mm-hmm. training yourself to be okay with mm. experiencing those feelings and being uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I call it dipping the toe in. So as I was saying before, it's unrealistic to expect someone who's gone through deep trauma to just come sit with their emotions and just feel all of that intensity that's an actual fact yeah. can be quite dangerous yeah and um so it's like dipping the toe in so it's little little moments of noticing and growing awareness and then do just go and distract 
just tolerate. This is like a learning to tolerate type thing. Mm. Little bits of tolerance, and you just build up your tolerance a little bit more. Because our emotion, all that stuff never goes away. I think that's one of the things, the myths that people think. If I do yoga or meditation or I go to therapy or whatever, then all that stuff will go away and I'll just be happy. It'll be flatline happy. Mm. <laughs> but um, they don't go away. We just get really much better at being with them. So when we go through the hard stuff, we're like, oh, here it is, my shame. Here it is, my fear. I've got it. It feels really yucky and uncomfortable, but it doesn't tell me how I act in my life. It doesn't force me into behavioural patterns or um, things that, that aren't beneficial to me or anyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. I, I, it's, a, it's a cool concept. And I think, I mean, you've kind of, you've summed up the theme of the podcast really, really nicely there. So why don't we move on to the next question? So what, I, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about... Um, creating your future and how you live in power as well and I think that's one of the things that kind of obviously I can see you smiling here so <laughs> Justin just cracked a massive smile it's obviously something that you ex, uh, excites you can you kind of explain that concept to us a little bit and tell us a bit about how you do it create created future yeah um so it's have you heard have I talked about this with you before or I don't know just... maybe start start yeah. talking and yeah. I'll, so, um, I'll let you know it's something, um, so it's something we do for us here, for our studio as a, as a community, is we, we look at how we create future, create the future, um, and we also look into how we're operating in the moment. So it, it can be on a personal level for me as well. So we have, we all have a default, like a default context that we operate in, and that's pretty much moving through the life, through life unaware, swearing at people, getting pissed off with other people, blaming them. Da, 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 you know that default kind of that's just as a as an example it's really reactive sort yeah. of way of living yeah or or just defaulting into old limiting core beliefs about mm. ourselves and letting that be um the decider of what how we move through our life um so first of all it is becoming aware of that the default context and looking at limiting core beliefs and i, I don't i feel like it's it's just sort of smoke in the air manifestation if you haven't done that work first it's like mm. I want this and I want to be that and da, da 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 and it's all out there but without having that understanding and context of how we have been operating up until now it's hard to sort of change that if you know what I mean does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you can't just kind of law of attraction it to you no. like a magnet yeah, yeah because it's not law of attraction and wishing something to be away when actually inside you you feel like you're a piece of shit is not mm. law of attraction because it's not authentic. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. you got to put in Doesn't some match. work rather than just wish for yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've got to constantly do the work while you're creating your created future. So what? it's more about what, how do I want to, how do I want my life to be? Other than for me, it's not about things. It's about how do I want to feel in my life and then generating that feeling within myself. So standing in it, standing in that feeling and going this, okay, I feel expansive. I feel full. I feel loved. I have satisfying relationships um, and really generating that feeling in the body. So it can be an exercise of actually standing on a spot, standing up, generating that feeling of, of how I want to be in my life 
and then kind of working backwards, well, what do I need to do and how do I need to change the way I perceive myself and things around me to generate that into being as well? Mm. Cool. I, I really like that as a, as a concept. Um, for you, like logistically, how does, how does that work? Is it, I mean, the standing kind of the visualizing how you want things to be and then you kind of go back and you sit down and you kind of write down the, the backwards to where what you need to be doing or do you have another approach that you use to, um, to clarify your thought processes around that? Um, it is. If you have a look in our office when we go out, um, so we have a big, we have just our created future context on our wall out there, which Jace and I do regularly, and we've just done another one. So we look at how we're being in the space, how in the moment, and we we look at if that's aligned with what we want to create, and that's our in our default context. And um, if not, we discard that for the moment, and then we move to what we want to create. Um, so it'll be what we've how we've done this just recently is we've created a word which means all of what we want to create in the next uh, quarter of the year. And our word for the next quarter is haka. So it's like coming together, it's like powerful, it's growth, it's deep. Um, and then around that we write everything that generates that feeling or that into being. So it could be some specific things mm-hmm. and it could be some feeling things. Um, it could be specific tasks that we want to do. It could be focus points like we're focusing a lot on mental health at the moment um and and same thing that i do for myself personally as well same same very simple like it's nothing super you know yeah <laughs> you know there's not heaps of spreadsheets and things no. involved for that no cool. no and it's more about feeling into it than writing cognitively stuff down but it's that generating the feeling mm. in the body and same with rather than visualizing out there this is what I want to see like it's more looking in and feeling individualite or uh, generating the emotion in the body awesome mm. um, I'm just mindful of the time mm. so I, I could keep talking to you for hours and <laughs> maybe we'll have to do this again uh, mm-hmm. at some point but I do have some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of the uh, our, our chat the first is what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it mm-hmm. um to be honest, I'm uncomfortable quite a lot. <laughs> Sitting down to record this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm because I'm, I'm quite an introvert at the heart of things, yeah. and even though I don't seem like it, um, yeah, I I'm, I'm speaking with hundreds of people a day sometimes in a teaching environment. Mm. So often, and I, I hold it so dearly what I what I uh, the healing around that and how. Um, I really respect the students and the care that I want to give them. So every single class I teach, I'm like, I want to do my best for these people that are in the room. So it's always, there's always that level of a little bit of discomfort and just uh, being there fully authentically for them. Um, Probably the last, I had an interview on the other day um, with News Talk ZB. I haven't really done... um, a lot of live things that are live live like that so I guess I was a little bit uncomfortable in my belly I felt a little bit anxious 
um, just because it was on the fly and I really passionately wanted to get my message across and I wanted it to come across well and authentically. Mm. So I felt a little bit of nerves. But it's about, again, creating that space. So the nerves that I feel don't, they don't just unravel me, put it that way, these days. It's like, oh, there's the nerves, there they are, that's interesting. Feeling like I'm not good enough again. (laughs) But then continuing to be able to go into the operating self and just do what I need to do and um, connect and share. Awesome. Yeah. What is the next uncomfortable thing? that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Um, probably, well, the next sort of bigger thing I'm doing is I'm teaching at Wanderlust again next year. It's really fun. It's awesome. Why is it uncomfortable for me? I'll feel a little bit anxious opening myself up for judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, opening myself up for judgment and the fact is, we, we can't be liked by everybody and we can't be, you know, da-da-da-da-da, all that. Um, but every time we step into a new realm or a bigger realm, there's always that level of or that little voice in the back of the head that's like, what are you doing here? You're not good enough. And that's I know that that voice is old context voice these mm. days so I know how to talk back to that voice yeah. <laughs> sound crazy <laughs> no I heard one the other day um, so I, I can't remember where it was it was on another podcast and I think someone asked uh, the, the guest they said why why are you so productive like how come you are so successful as a person and the guest said to them it's because I've learnt because I've stopped listening to the voice in my head and I've learned how to talk back to it. Yeah. And I can talk my way through it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's actually self-coaching. It's mm. um, the ability to self-coach. It's the ability to recognize what's coming from the old limiting core beliefs and then go, oh, hold on a minute. That's not true. That's absolutely untrue. There's no evidence to support that whatsoever. Mm. And mm. then just to move into what you need to do. Yes, yeah. Um, my next question is usually around kind of what strategies people use to help themselves get uncomfortable, but I think this the last 50 minutes has basically been all on that. So <laughs> unless you have any other ones that you want to share with us, I, I actually want to ask you, to start talking back to yourself, you need a certain level of self-awareness. Um, what would be a good question to ask yourself to kind of begin that process of self-awareness? I think even just something as simple as, is that the truth? Is that the truth? Or for some people, it's, it's the first step is even the ability to catch yourself so that we've all got in a dialogue that runs constantly but catching that dialogue and going, is that the truth? Is that actually what is happening? Because we'll tell ourselves that we are not good enough or we can't do this or we can't do that or I'm to this or I'm not enough that. Mm. But really questioning, is that the truth and and why? Yeah. 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 And I think that's actually a good strategy for getting uncomfortable as well, is that when you feel that uncomfortable feeling, asking yourself, 
is this the truth? Mm. It's a it's a good way to good way to approach that. Justine, I've got two more questions for you. One is quite simple. The other one's a little bit more tricky. Um, but before I ask them, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your time with me today and sharing your time with the, with the listeners. And I also want to say thank you for sharing yourself with all the people that you impact as well um, and kind of help them through this process of becoming more self-aware because of the work that you have done on yourself um, and being able to kind of share that out with the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's really awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, easy question. If people are liking what they hear, if they want to uh, find out more about you or if they want to come down and do some, do some classes with you, we, how can they do that? Where should they go? Um, they can look on our website which is powerliving.co.nz. Um, they can call the studio or they can email the studio, which is through the website, and then they'll get a response from me. I re- respond to all our emails. Yeah. Cool. Um, and you're quite big on the gram as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, uh, what is it, um, your Instagrams? Um, the Power Living NZ is our studio one, and then mine's just my name, Justine Hamill. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'll put some links for them in the notes for the show as well. Uh, slightly harder question or kind of statement, but do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Oh, a challenge. Okay, so <clears throat> next time you notice yourself feeling anxious or with a, a some kind of a discomfort and uncomfortable feeling my challenge is to pause for just five breaths super simple just five breaths and just see what you notice within that time frame of, of five breaths may not go away but just see what you notice Awesome. I think that is a fantastic mm-hmm. challenge for mm-hmm. the next week. And I'd love to hear what pe- how people went with it as well. So make sure to get in touch with me and Justine about that. But thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for making me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> there you have it, guys. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of that episode with Justine and I today. Uh, I know I took a whole lot of stuff away from it. Just a reminder, if you did enjoy the show, make sure that you share it out with your mates so that they can hear it as well. Uh, Click subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Uh, And also make sure that you leave a review as well. Ideally a five-star one, uh, but whatever you think is, is worthwhile. One other thing that I just wanted to touch on is I'm thinking about starting up an online mastermind all about training ourselves to get uncomfortable uh, with some of the lessons that I've learned from over 70 guests on the show so far uh, and my own readings. I'll be popping a little bit of stuff out on the on the social media channels about that over the next couple of weeks. Um, so just have a search for Uncomfortable is Okay on Facebook and Instagram or Chris Desmond NZ on Twitter. Or if it's something that you think you might be interested in, 
then flick me an email, uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. Uh, it'll be a bit of a test out just to, to see how it goes and see if it is something that uh, that will provide value for people. Um, and if it does, then then fantastic. That'd be that'd be awesome. That would be ideal. Uh, a couple of thank yous. Uh, the first is for my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. As always, uh, thank you to Joel Buzaid, uh, who was a guest a, a few episodes ago, but has also been helping me out with a little bit of coaching around uh, clarifying my ideas around the podcast. So that's been really cool as well. And thank you guys for getting uncomfortable with Justine and I today. Uh, We'll see you all again next Tuesday with another awesome episode.